All right, welcome. Welcome, Fellowship Asheville, and those of you who are joining us from, from wherever it is that you're joining us, we are glad that you are with us this morning. I want to start off and I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you, how are you doing? Like, like really, how are you doing? For me, this has been a very strange time, and strange is the word that I keep uh kind of gravitating toward. It's just a strange time. I have this feeling uh, it's a whole different new kind of tiredness that I feel right now. The closest thing I can relate it to is when we lived in Tennessee. Uh, We had a tornado that actually went through our neighborhood. Uh, It destroyed the house behind us. It it, it skipped over our house. It lifted our roof up and then put it back down. Like literally every nail on our roof was lifted up just about a half inch. But the houses around us were destroyed, and, and, and we lived in chaos then. There were literally piles of debris, and there was construction going on for months. And we were tired in the midst of that chaos. This, this feeling that I feel is similar to that, except there's one big exception. The exception is there, it made sense because we could see the chaos. Here, today, I feel that same kind of tiredness, but everything around me looks normal. Right? Everything is where it's supposed to be. There is still chaos here. I just can't see it. I feel like every day I'm navigating a whole different set of realities, a whole different set of rules. And this this strange time that we live in is exhausting in a whole different kind of way. It's like tiredness and grief and confusion and stress and sadness all rolled up into one. Maybe you're feeling that feeling too, that feeling of this, this new kind of tiredness. Anybody with me on this? If so, then, then show me, like give me a thumbs up and the likes and let me know that, that you're feeling this way. Or if your feelings are different during this time, just write a one word response in the comments. And I would love to see that as, as we go through this. Tell me how you're doing. Kids, how are you doing in the midst of this? I would imagine that you're feeling something different too something different than you normally feel. I bet, I bet you're feeling kind of bored by now, right? Staying home was fun for a while, but now you're kind of bored with it. I bet you're missing your friends right now. Maybe you're even getting tired of being around your brother or sister or maybe even your parents. Maybe you're getting tired of being around them. I get it. See, we're all under this new kind of pressure right now. We're experiencing stress in different ways. And, 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 and there's something that I've seen in my life, and I've seen it in the lives of people that I counsel and in the, in the lives of people that I pastor, and it's this. In our most stressed times, God seems the most distant. Now, I don't know why that is. And it's not that way every time, but it's that way enough times. Sometimes when, when, when life is, and you're in crisis mode and life is stressful, God feels very close. But, but I've experienced in my life this distance from God where it feels like God is distant. And oftentimes when that happens, it's when I'm the most stressed. Now, maybe this is where you are today. Maybe God feels distant. And and let's be honest, maybe he has felt distant for a really long time. 
Maybe it feels like he's distant right now as you're trying to navigate what working from home looks like. You're trying to navigate. Some of you are navigating job loss right now, and maybe God feels distant. Some of you are navigating homeschooling for the first time. And not only is it homeschooling, it's homeschooling while working from home with a full-time job. And y'all, that is a lot. Any of those is a lot. And if you're feeling the distance of God during this time, I want you to hear me on this. Because this is a truth that is echoed throughout the scriptures, and it's this. You are not alone. You are not alone. Why are you not alone? Because you have got people around you that love you. You have got a church that's in this strange time together with you. And you have got a promise that is also echoed through the scriptures multiple times that God loves you and will never leave you. You are not alone. Jesus told his disciples when they gathered together and it was, it was his last words that he was telling them. He had, he had already been crucified. He had been resurrected and, and he was about to ascend into heaven. And he looked at his disciples and his final words to them were, I will never leave you. If you go backwards in your Bible, it starts there in, in, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 31. God told the nation of Israel, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And then if you take Deuteronomy 31 and you just turn the page in your Bible, you're in Joshua. And God said the same thing to Joshua before he took on the mantle of leadership for the whole nation of Israel. I would imagine he was very stressed at that time. And God, and God spoke to him and God said, Joshua, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you keep going in your Bible, you, you, go, you go through the Old Testament, you go through the Gospels, you go through the letters, and you end up in this book called Hebrews that was written to the nation of Israel after, after the, the, the resurrection of Jesus. And, and it was written to these Jesus followers. Um, uh, and, and one of the things that the author of Hebrews did is he reminded them of this promise. And he told this new church, God will never leave you and God will never, guess what? Forsake you. That's right. God will never leave you and God will never forsake you. You see, we've been looking at the seven statements that Jesus made on the cross. And today we're going to look at the fourth one. And his statement has a word that I think we all need to understand. A word that you just said out loud. And our word for today that we're adding to the cross is forsaken. Each week we're looking at those statements and each week we're taking a word and we're putting it on that cross in the worship center. And this word in particular, we need to see through the empty tomb. Because remember, we're calling this series Empty Tomb, Full Life. And this one in particular, it's critical that we see it through the empty tomb. And here's why, because, because by correctly understanding this statement, by correctly applying it, you and I can have a full life. And by full life, I mean a life in the midst of this new tiredness that we feel. We can have hope deep down in our souls. Does anybody need hope today? Does anybody need more hope today? Hope for a better day today. Hope for a better future tomorrow. Well, if so, turn with me. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Mark 15. 
We're going to be in Mark 15, verse 33 through 34, and captures that, that fourth statement that Jesus made on the cross. If you're new here and just joining us, um, I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for joining us on Facebook. Do me a favor and click the like button uh, down below so that we know that you're here. Also in the text uh, that's below this, this Facebook Live, um, you will see some links, and some of those links link you to a Spotify playlist. Those lists are curated, curated for you by our worship team, and so I want to give a uh, thanks to Cam Spear and to Liv Davis and to Kara Brown for putting those lists together for us. And I also want to say to those worship leaders, I, we miss you leading us in worship through song every week. And we look forward to the day that we are back together again with y'all leading us together again. And, and until that time, these playlists are really good. So thank you for putting them together. Well, let's look at Mark 15. Verse 33, it says, And when the sixth hour had come... Now, I want to stop there and and explain what's happening here in Mark. We count time differently than they did in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, uh, they counted time starting at sunrise. And so so that was the first hour of the day, second hour of the day, because when we hear sixth hour, sometimes we think six o'clock in the morning. When they said sixth hour, it meant noon. And so at noon, something happened. In the sixth hour of the day at noon, something happened as Jesus was hanging on the cross. Look at what happened. Verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was a darkness over the whole land. So as Jesus hung on the cross, it started like any other day. Jesus wasn't the first one to hang on the cross. He wasn't the last one to hang on the cross. Criminals were hung on the cross every, uh, hung on a cross every day. And this day started like one of those days until noon hit. And at noon, this darkness came over the land. Now in Greek, the word for darkness is taken from the word shadow, because in oftentimes, darkness is linked to the judgment of God. And so if you were there and you were seeing Jesus crucified on the cross, this darkness would come over the land. And one of the things that you would be thinking is that this is God's judgment on us. So picture in your mind Jesus on the cross and there's this darkness coming, but the darkness didn't last. Because look, it says when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And so the ninth hour, that's three o'clock. The sixth hour was noon. The ninth hour is three o'clock. This darkness started around noon and it lasted for three hours. And at three o'clock, the darkness lifted, the judgment lifted. So what happened at three? Now, I spent some time on this because I figured if, if Mark went to the effort of putting this time stamp in there for us and, and, and the book of Matthew does the same thing, it has to be important. What, what's happening at three o'clock? that the judgment is being lifted. Why is this important? Well, you see, three o'clock is an important time to those who are in ancient Israel, and particularly those who are familiar with temple worship. Because there were multiple, multiple sacrifices made in the Jewish temple. There were, there were the sin offerings, there were the fellowship offerings, uh, there were all kinds of offerings and sacrifices being made, some of them really big uh, and important sacrifices. But there was one sacrifice that was made that was actually pretty mundane when you look at all the sacrifices. And this sacrifice is called the Tamid. And this sacrifice is a continual sacrifice that's made every day, twice a day. It's made in the morning, as soon as the temple opens up and the priests get there and it's the first sacrifice of the day and it gets the fire going and every sacrifice of that day is laid on top of that first one. 
And then it's also made at the end of the day. It's made in the morning and it's made in the evening. That's called the tamid. Guess what time that final sacrifice is offered of the day? Three o'clock. That final sacrifice covers all the other sacrifices made during that day. And so picture this in your head. You're seeing Jesus on the cross. This darkness has come over the land. And this priest in the temple is laying the final sacrifice on the altar of the day. The final one. That one sacrifice that covers all the other one, which is part of the sacrifice that lays under all the other ones. It's this sandwich that covers all the sacrifices. And then this happens in verse 34. Verse 34 says this, And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Now, He said other things from the cross. This one is very specific that He said in a loud voice. He wanted people to hear what He was saying. And then the gospel accounts actually have the language that He said it in, which is unique. Because He says, Aloy, Aloy, lama shabachthani. And that's Aramaic. And what that means, we're going to see in just a minute. But the point that Mark is making is that Jesus said something loud and he said it in a language that everybody could understand because Jesus had a point to what he was saying. And he was inviting those who are around the cross to listen to what he had to say because he's about to take us on a journey. He said it loud and he said it in a language so everyone could understand what was it that he said. Look at verse 34. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So picture this with me. There's this darkness that has come over the land and Jesus speaks these words and this darkness begins to lift. And in the temple, back in the background, there was this sacrifice laid on the altar, the one that covers all the other sacrifices. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus is quoting a psalm. Like these aren't his words. Well, I mean, they are his words. He wrote the Bible, so they are his words. But this isn't the first time his followers would have heard this. They would have heard this as a song that they all knew and they were all familiar with and they had sung many, many times. And Jesus is putting this phrase in their head so they will recount all the words of this psalm. It's kind of like when, when somebody mentions a, a quote from a bridge of a song that you know, that song is stuck in your head the rest of the day, right? That's what Jesus is doing. And He's taking them to Psalm 22. And this psalm, it's a song that David wrote about a time where he was stressed and where David felt the distance of God. Now, why did Jesus quote this passage with with darkness lifting and this final sacrifice in the temple? Because what He's showing His followers is just like that, that sacrifice that's happening in the temple. He is the final sacrifice. He is the one that covers all the other sacrifices. He is the Alpha, the one that all the sacrifices lay on. He is the Omega, the one that, 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 that covers them. He is the Tamid. He is the final judgment of God, which is why that darkness is beginning to lift. And what he's doing here is he's showing his followers what this final sacrifice accomplishes for them. He's taking them and taking us on a journey, the same one that David took. 
And it's a journey from feeling the distance of God, from feeling forsaken to being in fellowship. It's a journey from feeling this distance of God to being caught up in the worship of God with the people of God. It's a journey, if you will, from being forsaken to having hope. And so turn with me to Psalm 22, because y'all, I got to tell you, I think it's so appropriate for where we are today, because one day, church, We will be together again. And I'm going to tell you, I can't wait for that day when we are gathered in that worship center, worshiping together again. And what we're going to see in this Psalm 22 is right where many of us are. We feel the distance of God and we want hope. And Jesus is going to show us how to do that. So so Psalm 22, verse 1 says this. Remember, this is a song that David wrote. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar, doesn't it? And then David goes on, why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry out by day and you do not answer and by night, but I find no rest. You see, this is where David is. This is where Jesus knows that his followers are. This is where many of us are in the midst of this coronavirus, in the midst of COVID-19. And even here, Jesus is experiencing this in some way. I don't know how. Trust me, there have been books and there have been many commentaries written about what did Jesus mean when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Was he forsaken by God? The answer is, I don't know. Like he can't be completely forsaken because he is God. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is part of the Trinity. Like, like, like he can't be forsaken by God. But I do wonder if he's feeling something here right now that is new to him too. As the sin of the world was, was put on his shoulders and as the, the sacrifice for his death was being paid, as, as, he was, as the tamid was being laid on the altar and he is the final sacrifice, I wonder if he is experiencing something unique that he has never felt before. And, 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 and I don't know, but I wonder if it's similar to what David had felt. Because listen, if, if, if Jesus wanted us to sing a song of hope, he could have picked any psalm, but he picked this one for a reason. He's feeling something that we feel. Now, he can't be separated from God. He is God. But the truth of how he is feeling right now, he's showing us that there's also a truth for us when we feel that way. And so let's look at Psalm 22. Let's keep unpacking this because, y'all, when we feel distant from God, there's this great truth and full life for us here. Look at verse 3. So David says, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I call out by day and you don't answer. I call out by night, but I can't sleep. In verse 3, David says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted and they trusted and you delivered them. And to you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. So what David does now is he, he thinks about the character of God. He thinks about what he knows to be true about God. And he thinks about the history of God's faithfulness. And he's saying that right now, God, I feel distant. Where are you? But in the midst of my feelings, I remember something. I remember that you are a faithful God. And you have always been faithful. 
And so, so what is he focusing on now? As he's focusing, he's recalling the fact of God's past faithfulness. He looks at history and says, you have always been faithful. And then with God's past faithfulness in his mind, he now looks at his present circumstances. What he's done, basically, he's taken off one pair of glasses and put on a new pair of glasses, right? I don't have a new pair, but you know what I mean, right? Like, like he switched his glasses. And instead of letting his present circumstances define what he thinks about God, he's letting God define his present circumstances. He's letting what he knows about God define his present circumstances. Now, you can read verse 6 through 18 on your own, and in it, in it you'll see David's being very truthful about what's happening to him. What you'll also see when you read those verses are things that happened to Jesus. And this, this psalm is considered one of those psalms that was also prophetic in looking at what was going to happen uh, to Jesus. But what I want us to do is I want us to focus our attention on verse 19 because there we see a shift with David where he's, he's changed from, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's put on these glasses of God's faithfulness. And then he says this, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Now he has shifted his thinking from, my God, my God, why are you far off? To, my God, I need you come quickly. And so how could David go from feeling forsaken by God to trusting that God is going to show up? That God is his present help and will be his future help. It's because of this principle. You see, when you feel forsaken and you feel like God is distant and you change your glasses, you change your view, here's what happens. You let God's past faithfulness lead you to trust in His present faithfulness. That if God was faithful back then, He will be faithful right now. If God provided for you back then, guess what? He's going to provide for you now. If God took care of you back then, guess what? He's going to take care of you now. If God was good back then, guess what? He's still good today. So when you do this, Guess what it produces in you? If you keep reading the psalm, you'll see what it produces. Because what David does is he, is he begins to look to his future and he sings about a day where, where other, other followers of God are gathered together again in worship. And not only will he be part of that worship, he'll be leading them in worship. You know what he has now? He went from, from feeling forsaken to now he has hope. You see, church, Jesus on the cross is pointing his followers to a psalm which starts with a forsaken place and ends with hope. Why? Because he knows an empty tomb is coming. The people gathered around the cross right now, they don't know it's coming. Jesus knows it's coming. We know it came. He is their final sacrifice, and He is telling them that He is the sacrifice that's going to lead them to hope. A prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah, said this. Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 6, said this, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord laid on him the sin, the iniquity of us all. So what does this mean? What does this mean? It means 
that because Jesus is our final sacrifice, you and I can have peace with God. And when we have peace with God, we have hope. When you say yes to Jesus' offer of salvation and accepting the sacrifice that He made for you, you have peace with God. And, and I ask you, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, then let today be the day that you do say yes to Him. Because when you do, you have hope. Hope in a faithful God. And here's what this means. And here's where your full life comes from. It means that when you are feeling forsaken and you are feeling ignored and you are feeling distant from God, you can trust that He is a faithful God, that He was faithful then and He is faithful now. And when, when that happens, you can have hope today. Now, another picture in the Talmud. I, I love this because... Jesus as a person was such a common person. I mean, the scriptures say that if you saw him in a crowd, you would not think he's the rock star that he is. The Tamid is the most common sacrifice you can imagine. It literally happened every day, every afternoon. It's the most mundane of sacrifices. But here's what hope does. And here's what Jesus did. He took this mundane sacrifice and showed the world that it is miraculous. And this daily offering every morning and every night that sandwiched, that sandwiched all the other sacrifices, what was mundane, Jesus put an exclamation point on. Because right now, I'm going to be honest with you, there's a whole lot of mundane things going on, isn't there? right? You're probably washing more dishes than you are clothes right now, right? You're sitting at home a lot trying to figure out what to do with your time. You've got extended time with your family that is fun for a while, and then it gets mundane, right? You're homeschooling your kids. There's, there, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, and all of this stuff can feel very, very mundane, when our circumstances define who God is. However, where there is hope, God does something miraculous with the mundane. When God defines our circumstances, actually the mundane can be miraculous. That God can be with you as you're homeschooling your kids. He can be with you as you're washing those dishes again and again and again. He can be with you. He can be with you when you're homeschooling your kids. He can be with you when you're spending time with your family. And so church, that's what hope does. That's what hope does in the midst of this. And so church, let's take this new tired that we feel. Let's take this, this feeling of living in the chaos of day to day like we are. And let's take this feeling of being distant from God and let's look at it through the lens of the empty tomb. Let's let that be our glasses. Because in the empty tomb, we see the faithfulness of God. Jesus said and did everything uh, and it was true and it was right. And when he raised from the dead, he put an exclamation, part on, an exclamation mark on everything that he said and did. When we see the empty tomb, we see a God who has always been faithful and who is faithful and who always will be faithful. When we see the empty tomb, we see a full life of hope. And where there's hope, the mundane becomes miraculous. So let me ask you, do you need hope in your home today? 
Do you need hope in the chaos of life? Do you need hope when you're tired? Do you need hope when you're frustrated? Do you need hope when you're sad? Do you need hope when you're scared? Do you need hope when you fail? Well, church, let's be a people that let God change these from the mundane to the miraculous. Church, let's be a people of hope. And let's see with the hope of God's faithfulness today. Let me pray for us. And then I have a couple of announcements for you. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your hope. Um, We need the hope found in an empty tomb. And we need the hope that gives us a full life in the midst of, of at least here in Asheville, being on a stay home, stay safe. And, and, and so here we are. And so, Father, I pray that, that you would let hope be sprinkled into our days and that we would see the miraculous moments in the midst of the mundane because we are looking through your eyes, not ours. And may we be a people who in the midst of this chaos can smile because we have hope in a faithful God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.